This series we started last week is called The Joy of Christmas. And what we've been looking at is how God, during the Christmas season, sent angels to make announcements to people about you know, the coming of Christ. And those announcements were filled with good news. And they produced joy. That's why we call this The Joy of Christmas. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that happened at the first Christmas or everything that happens at Christmas now is joyful because not everything that happens is joyful. But these announcements were so powerful, they oftentimes produce joy in spite of the circumstances that were happening at the time. So many people at the first Christmas were in difficult circumstances. And I think sometimes the parts of the Bible that we know really well because they're cultural and we see a manger scene or whatever, I think those parts of the Bible we oftentimes become so familiar with that we, we think the people are gingerbread cookies. You know, we think that they're not real people, didn't have real feelings, uh, wouldn't go through what we go through. And so we kind of separate them like as precious moment figurines. But what I want to do this morning, again, is to try to paint a picture of um, another one of the people who encountered one of these angels who brought a message from God and how you can see the circumstances are very, very human. So Mary is definitely one of these people who, you know, would have been in very, very human circumstances. So imagine for a minute what she was going through. She was poor. She was from a small town with a bad reputation. Uh, many people say that, that, that Bethlehem at the time was probably, um, you know, two or three hundred people. It wasn't very many people. And, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, Nazareth was about two or three hundred people. And, and uh, she was young, okay? She was anywhere from 12, 13, 14 years old. This is a really young adolescent girl. Now, I've never had daughters, but uh, I've heard stories. Is that fair? I was a youth pastor for a while, uh, and I've heard stories, and some of you girl mamas, you know, can tell me. Um, I understand that there are years in there that are really difficult. Actually, when my kids were about to become teenagers, a pastor friend told me, you're about to enter the Great Tribulation. <laughs> and so I understand that there's some, you know, there's some drama that happens in there, and I just want you to imagine for a minute um, that someone were to come to our church, they were to go to a middle school girls' small group, and they were to go to that small group and say, hey, one of you 13-year-old girls is going to be the mother of Jesus. Imagine, I like everybody grabs their kids and pulls them in tight. You know, not mine, not mine. That, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like, you know, all the songs that we sing. But imagine for a moment when you put it in that picture, how that might have felt. Now, Mary, although she was very young, she was betrothed. That's uh, um, somewhere between engagement and marriage. We really don't have that um, category in our society today. But what betrothal meant was you were committed to marry a person. You weren't married yet, but the only way to break betrothal was through, was through a divorce even though you weren't married, or death. And so Mary was, was already in that phase of her life, even though she was a young girl, she was a teenager, planning her wedding, thinking about you know, how that was going to happen. And then this angel appears to her with a message. 
Now let's read how it happened. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in uh, Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So far, so good. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Uh, by the way, who sees angels? You know, not most of us. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Jesus. So the angel says, Don't be afraid. Good news. You're going to have a baby, right? Can you imagine how disturbing this would be to a 13-year-old girl to find out Hey, by the way, in less than a year, you're going to be a mom. Congratulations. This is, this is intense. Now, the good news was, this wasn't just any baby she was having. This was a very unusual baby. Verse 32 tells us, this is the angel still speaking. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Are you catching what's going on here? He's saying this is only going to happen one time in human history. It's never going to happen again. In all of world history, however long the world lasts, this event is going to occur one time. It's never going to happen again. There's only going to be one Jesus. And he's about to be born right here. Now, what does that tell us about the Christmas story and the Christmas announcement? Let me give you three thoughts. Number one, Christmas is an announcement of joy because of who Jesus is. We're not talking about Santa Claus. We're not talking about the Easter Bunny. We're not talking about Elvis. We're not talking about Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We're not talking about Kevin Hart or Tom Brady or LeBron James Hang on, can't say we ain't got a whole list. The Kardashians, still going. I'll get you. I'll get you in a minute. Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Charlie D'Amelio. Some of you go. I don't even know who that is. TikTok star. Look it up. I told you I got something for everybody. Addison Rae, another one. Taylor Swift, Beyonce, or the president. You know why? Now listen very carefully. Because every one of those people will one day be replaced by somebody else. One day, somebody else will be doing what all those people are doing now. But there's only one Jesus. There'll never be another Jesus. There's only one. There's only ever going to be one. There's only, only ever needed was one. And did you catch the description the angel said? This is the son of the most high. What is he saying? He's saying this is God's only son. Look, look at the other description. The, he will sit on the throne of his father David. What is that saying? That's saying this is the Messiah. This is the one who is coming to save people from their sins. There's, there's never going to be anybody like this. This is the only one. And his kingdom will never end. His kingdom and his rule is eternal. He will never be replaced by another person for eternity. And 
the power of the Most High, when she says, how's this going to happen? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. What does that tell you? He's a supernatural person. This isn't natural. Like what's happening, it's not natural. It's unexplainable. He's supernatural. And then, and then the angel says, he's the Holy One. He's pure and perfect. He'll never make a mistake. He'll never make an accident. He'll never sin. This has never happened. Christmas is an announcement of joy because of who Jesus is. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 said it like this. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now you would think by this point, Mary would be jumping up and down, waving her hands giddy like she'd want a shopping spree. But let me tell you something, okay? The Bible is way too honest to give us that kind of picture. Because this is a 13-year-old girl who just got news that is disturbing to her. And here's her response. In verse 34, she says, How will this be since I'm a virgin? <laughs> you know, women have a way of cutting right through the... You know what I'm talking about? She skipped right past the throne of David and the Most High and the Eternal One. She just cut right through all of that and said, time out. I got a question. <laughs> I don't know how they do things where you're from, Gabriel, but down here where we live, virgins don't have babies. So I don't know how you plan on making this work. Can you, can you see, though, the weight of all of this is resting on a 13-year-old girl's shoulders. I mean, I mean, she's feeling it. She's young, she's poor, she's going to be pregnant. Her relationship with Joseph, who she's betrothed to, in her mind is probably over. And then no one will want her again. Her family will live in shame. She'll be an outcast, a reputation shot. She'll raise a baby by herself as a single mother. That's, what she's, that's how she's processing all this. And, and, and then what's going to be the explanation? Let's, let's work that out. How would that sound? Oh, you're pregnant. Who's the dad? Joseph? No. See, what happened was an angel appeared to me. Oh, an angel. Sure, aren't they all? An angel appeared to me. And my baby's God. You think you have a complex. <laughs> my baby's God. Yeah, that'll, that'll go over good. She'll be very popular. To everyone else, she's another pregnant girl. To God, she's Jesus' mother. It's a lot. I'm so comforted by the fact that the first person in history who had a problem with the virgin birth was the virgin. That comforts me. This is a human. This isn't a gingerbread cookie. She's a real person. Which brings us right to the second thing that we see in this story. Life circumstances distract us from the, boy, the, the joy of Jesus. Now look, I, I, I want to be real clear about something. I'm not making light of her circumstances. Because they were... A lot. And I'm not making light of your circumstances. 
Because you might be here this morning or watching online and saying, I honestly don't know, you know, what's going to happen with my job. I don't know our industry's downsizing. It's changing. I don't know how I'm going to pay for Christmas. I don't know how, how we're going to keep battling this health problem we have. I don't know what we're going to do about school. My kids are missing huge gaps of education. I don't know how we're going to get our kids into college. Circumstances aren't, you know, make-believe. They're real, and every person who's ever lived has had circumstances. For 15 years, my family and I have lived from one crisis to another to another, from Hurricane Katrina to extreme diabetic problems to, you know, Huntington's disease. And man, those things wear you out. Circumstances have the way of sucking all the joy out of life. They just steal it from you. Just take it away. So I'm not making light of the circumstances. Gabriel did have an answer for her, though, when she said, hey, how's this going to happen? Gabriel said, uh, Elizabeth he said uh, Jesus' conception was going to be supernatural. And in fact, kind of as a, as a son, Elizabeth, who's too old to have a baby, is going to be six months pregnant already, even though she's too old to have a child. Now, here's what I love about this is the humanity of Mary, okay? You know what Mary does? Mary goes, okay, great. Thanks for stopping by. And she darts out the door. You can read it. She darts out the door, and she makes a beeline. Where do you think she's going? All the women know, she's going to go see Elizabeth. Because <laughs> she's like, all right, angel, if you're telling me this lady who's too old to have a baby is pregnant, watch. If God can do the improbable, which is give a woman who's too old to have a baby a baby, maybe God can do the impossible, which is give a woman who can't have a baby a baby. Because that's what God does. So she beelines over to Elizabeth's house. It's quite a journey. She gets there to say, hey, is this thing real or not? Is this really happening? Never mind the angel. Is this really happening? And then Gabriel says this to her in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now here's the last thought, okay? Christmas reminds us that God does the impossible. That's why Christmas is so good. It reminds us that God does the impossible. Now that's a tough truth. If you're honest, if you, if you want to you know, gloss it over, we can say, yay, you know, God does the impossible. And we can pretend all the people in the Bible weren't really people. They didn't really have feelings. Or you can say, wait a minute. This truth of God doing the impossible is kind of a tough truth because even though Jesus was a miracle, that doesn't mean Mary's life was easy. See, Mary, Mary was an outcast. Mary suffered. Mary watched her, her son die on the cross. You can fast forward to Easter, and you can see there Mary is watching her son, the baby that she held in her arms, who was a miracle. Who was a miracle baby. She watched him die. She watched him be beaten literally to death and hang on a cross and die. Nothing is impossible with God, the angel says. That doesn't mean everything works out the way I want it to. Those aren't the same things. For the last six months, every day when I pray, I've been thinking about that little story that Jesus told, that parable who he says, um, there's this woman, this widow woman who will come and knock on the door. And um, on the other side of the door is an unjust judge. He's a judge that's not fair. Okay, 
And she knocks on the door, but the parable says, if this unjust judge, this unfair judge is going to open the door because the woman keeps coming, then how much more will your heavenly Father, who is a just Father, open the door if you keep praying? So it's a parable about prayer, right? I've been taking that parable and I've been praying through it for the last six months, every day I pray. And I've been knocking on that door and I've been saying, God, you're the, you're the just, you're the fair God, you're the just God. Open the door. My family needs a miracle. We need a miracle, so open the door. But I don't, I don't see a miracle. I don't see one. So what do I do? Today's the first day that I brought my wife to church in a wheelchair. I've been dreading this day for years. I've been praying for six months. This day wouldn't come. What do I do? On one hand, I've got the God who does the impossible. On the other hand, I don't see any miracles. What do I do? I'm kind of caught in this conundrum in the middle. I think that maybe the resolution to all this is faith. It doesn't even sound right, does it? Faith is not believing for God to do things how I think he should and then expect him to do them. So let's look for a minute and see what faith is, okay? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Now wait just a minute before we get too happy about what we do not see. Because there's a couple ways to think about that. Assurance, confidence in what we do not see. What is faith? It's confidence in what we do not see. So let me give you, you might want to write this down, let me give you a quick little definition on what faith is not and what faith is. Faith isn't believing the impossible. Let me tell you why. Because sometimes the impossible happens and sometimes it doesn't. Faith is believing the invisible. Do you believe in a God you cannot see? Even when he doesn't do the impossible. Because sometimes he does the impossible and sometimes he doesn't do the impossible. And I don't know the difference. Do you believe in an invisible God that you cannot see? Do you believe in an invisible God whose son will reign forever in eternity? Do you believe in an invisible God who's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace? Do you believe in a God whose work is invisible sometimes? You can't even see it. Do you believe in a God who speaks and works and acts and will bring everything into alignment with the will of his Father even when you can't see him working? He's invisible, but we put our faith in him. There's an invisible God that somehow got Mary to have a baby Jesus and kept Joseph with Mary, we'll talk about that next week, and got them around Herod where they needed to go without being killed. I don't understand all that. I don't know how God's working, but I know this. When I put my faith in an invisible God, it brings me joy. It brings me joy. Because somehow I know it's not all up to me. He's going to resolve all of these things.
You may have never heard of Isaac Watts. He wrote 700 songs. You know, it makes me wonder, what have I done with my life? (laughs) 700 songs. The most famous song, the most well-sung, often-sung song that Isaac Watts wrote, he wrote in 1719, and it's called Joy to the World. You know it, right? Joy to the World. You know, we sing it at Christmas every year. Do you know he never wrote it as a Christmas song? It was not a Christmas song. It was a song about the joy that he had over the anticipation of the return of Jesus. But a hundred years later, when someone put music to it, it shifted and became a a Christmas song that was about the joy of the birth of Christ. What does that say to us? Jesus' birth is joy. Jesus' return is joy. In between those two is where we live life. (laughs) And that's where we live by faith. And you know what faith brings? Joy. (laughs) So it's a life of joy however you live it. Do you know, um, would you just stand with me and we'll close this morning? At some point in everybody's life, we have a struggle with miracles. We have a struggle with um, faith. Everybody has questions. Everybody has struggles at some time. But do you know the Christian faith is built on three miracles? Creation, the virgin birth, and the resurrection. That's what the Christian faith is built on. Now, if you believe those, you're already a weirdo. You understand that, right? I mean, that's not normal. That doesn't make sense with what the world says. If you believe in creation and the virgin birth and the resurrection, you're already a kook. You already stepped across the line. So since you're already over the line, Why not go ahead and believe that the same God that can make the universe and the same God that can make a virgin have a baby and the same God that can bring his son back from the dead, why not go ahead and believe that he has the ability to bring your life into the will of the Father? He has the ability to line your life up with how he wants it to be. Why not go ahead and believe that? Why is that one harder than the other three? The other three are impossible. But he's the God that does the impossible. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? If you're online, man, I want to invite you. Our prayer team is there. They're waiting for you. Man, if you need prayer today and you just need to say, you know what, I I need God to do something impossible in my life. I need God to help me with faith. I need God to work in these circumstances. You just drop a comment in the comment section and say, man, I need God's help this morning. Our prayer team is going to jump in and pray. In a a couple minutes, our prayer team is going to be here present in the room, and we're going to give you an opportunity to pray with them. But I just simply want you to do this. Before we sing this song, I just simply want you to reach out with every eye closed, with your heart wide open. I just want you to simply reach out to God in faith and and just with your own words, with your own mouth, say this. I believe in the invisible God who does the impossible. 
Oh, come on. Think about your circumstances now. Think about what you're going through. Think about what you don't have an answer for. Think about what you don't, you don't know how to resolve it. And let's do it again. I believe in the invisible God who does the impossible. Come on, let's do it one more time. I believe in the invisible God who does the impossible. Come on now and let's just thank Him that He is the invisible God who makes all things possible. Come on and celebrate His name. Come on and celebrate it. Come on.